Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Uh, I'm Chaplain Gregory Clark. I'm in the 29th Brigade Engineer Battalion in 3rd Brigade. So yes, we got the old Bronco Rumble coming up. I'm one of the ones that's going to join those ranks. But no worries, we'll be back. What is it? I think after September 24th or something like that. But anyway, y'all excited this morning? Hey, there we go. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Bible today. How about Psalm 46? Let's turn to Psalm 46. I'm cool if you use the Bible, uh, the phone, the phone book. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, get your tang tangled a little bit. Yes, yeah, Psalm 46. And as always, I've retranslated the passage. So, Psalm 46. Now, some of those, uh, what do I call it? I don't know how many of you guys are reading the ESV. Does anyone have in there a title stating God is our fortress or something like that? Yeah. Well, technically, that's not part of the original Bible. That's added in there by our modern editors. But that's a good way to talk about the Bible or what this psalm represents in a nutshell. It's pretty common. Now, anyone see in there uh, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the uh, according to Alamoth, a song? Okay, so that part's a translation of the original Bible. So let's let's go from there. Here's my little version here. To the chief musician from the sons of Korah for Alamoth, a song, God is our refuge and strength. He presents much help in trouble. Therefore, we will fear nothing upon us, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea, they roar, its waters are troubled, the mountains shake with its majesty. Selah. There is a river. Its stream shall make the city, its high holy tabernacle of God, glad. God is in the midst of it. It will not be moved. God will help it just at the break of dawn. Nations roared. Kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. Earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow in pieces and cuts in two the spear. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let me unpack the title for a moment. Psalm 46 addresses the choir master, or should we say the chief musician. You all remember in modern name books where there's a page or two stating that this book is dedicated to fill in the blank? 
Well, that's what's going on here. This song's dedicated to the chief musician of the day. Then the psalm states, from or of the sons of Korah. And here's the authors of the psalm. Of course, the sons of Korah were descendants of Korah, and he descended from the tribe of Levi. And now, what do we remember, what do we remember about the tribe of Levi? Yes, they were the priests of the tabernacle. They were responsible for the ministry inside God's holy of holies. Next, some translations state, according to Alamoth, or mine states for Alamoth, but this term is a synonym for maidens or young women. So it implies that a female soprano choir, like the one we had here today, good stuff, mine is Dan Braswell, of course, but they would sing and play this song. Finally, the title states a song or just song in the Hebrew text since Hebrew has no indefinite article. But thank you, Pastors Dan and Jeremiah, wherever you guys went, <laughs> for when we started our series on the Psalms. Uh, but they said that they were first written as songs for singing and prayers for praying. Does anyone know why the sons of Korah wrote Psalm 46? Exactly. I, I don't know the occasion either, but I believe the psalm stretches far beyond any local matter. And the sons of Korah most likely composed it during a season of crisis. But that's judging by its vigorous tone. The psalm encourages us to keep our faith and trust in God no matter what we face on this planet. For God is our refuge, even in our refuse. That's the psalm in a nutshell. God is our refuge, even in our refuse. But here's the three points that the psalm covers. God is our refuge over nature. God is our refuge over nations. And God is our refuge. Be noiseless. What does refuge even mean? Oxford Dictionary defines it as an institution providing safe accommodations or condition of being safe or sheltered from pursuit, danger, or trouble. Let's think about that for a moment. What has to be present for a refuge to even exist? Shout out. You can... Yes, exactly. Trouble, danger. I mean, without it, why would we even invent refuge, right? Remember those Sonic the Hedgehog movies that came out recently? Kids, you can kind of help me with this one. All right, let me try to relate with you as best as I can. Back in my day, there was a, there was a Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon. I watched it. And there's this episode uh, where Dr. Robotnik hijacks an amusement park to capture Sonic. While well, Sonic was steering a boat enjoying a safari, a giant robo-hippo forced him out of it, and a robo-snake wrapped him in his coils when he landed in the water. At a distance, two pesky robots known as Scratch and Grounder stood mocking Sonic. And Sonic goes, you guys better save me. And Scratch goes, don't be ridiculous. We're here to make sure you don't get saved. <laughs> Have it your way, but if you don't save me, then I won't be able to save you. Huh, from what, Grounder goes? Yeah, from what? And all of a sudden, this elephant goes, and they go make a beeline to Sonic. He's going, save us, Sonic. All right, pull the snake off me. They uncoil him. Thanks. Now I'll save you. Only first, you have to be in more danger. Huh? Sure. Otherwise, it's no challenge for me. 
Well, okay. And so they let the snake coil them up. And a bunch of other robo animals join in. Scratch goes, all right, now you'll save us, right? Nah, change my mind. Hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> all that's to say is that a refuge doesn't exist without there first being danger. And we're no strangers to danger. We read in verses 2b through and 3, Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea, they roar as waters are troubled, the mountains shake in its majesty. Selah. When the sons of Korah wrote this psalm, they normally picture mountains as objects of stability. Yet they imagine the unimaginable chaos in the midst of supposed order. Selah. Meaning pause and reflect. Who's tired of all those natural disasters this year? Maui takes a bunch of blazes. Selah. The smoke from the Canadian wildfires spread even to the states. Even engulfing Washington, D.C. Selah. Guam got hit with that typhoon. Selah. Florida just got hit with that major hurricane. Selah. Who all smelled the smoke just outside of Post here last month? Selah. COVID. Well, I'd rather not say law about that. Perhaps it's gotten to the point where we're asking, where's God in the midst of all this? Does God even care? Is God judging humanity? Does God hate us? But what good can come out of natural disasters? Think about the effects they have on communities. They motivate us to bond with our neighbors that were once strangers. They embody one of the reasons why God made church a family in the first place. When the storms of life hit, we have others that God has given us to help us depend on. Or we are that neighbor. But may we be God's, in hand, God's hands and feet. And if we can do something to help, just how much more can God do? God is the Lord. He is in the midst of what we have to deal with on this planet. And he's powerful enough to do something about it. Amen? Amen. So not only is God our refuge over nature, He's our refuge over nations. Psalm 46 starts out stating, God is our refuge and strength. He presents much help in trouble. Therefore, we will fear nothing upon us. Then it picks up again in verses 4 through 9. There is a river its stream shall make the city, its high holy tabernacle of, of God glad. God is in the midst of it. It will not be moved. God will help it just at the break of dawn. Nations roared, kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, and earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease the end of the earth. He breaks the bow in pieces and cuts the cuts into the spear. He burns the chariot in fire. Now what city are we talking about here in verses 4 and 5? You can do a shout out. Yes, thank you. Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem. It's the Mecca of the ancient nation of Israel. And what's so special about this city? 
What's so special about the city of Jerusalem? Yes, exactly. Thank you, Josh. Gary, it's the temple of God, a.k.a. the tabernacle or, or the Holy of Holies. The Jews dedicated this place to God to dwell among his people pre-Messiah. If someone didn't like it, it's not like they, he could decide to go to another church here. If someone built another temple somewhere else, then that temple eventually was dedicated to another God. And the Jews had to live with this reality their whole lives. Not like here in America. Today we live in the post-Messiah age where the temple remains destroyed in Jerusalem and we as Christians are God's temple thanks to the Holy Spirit dwelling in the hearts of the church. Today the psalm applies to us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ for we are the citizens of the city of God. Our hearts are the holy habitation of the Most High. If God is with us, who can be against us? Yet we live in a nation that works against us all the time. Former President Barack Obama got it right when he stated, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We're also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Well, people rebuke us if we start talking about Jesus anywhere but here, don't they? A buddy of mine was in a chat room with some people he used to play online games with. They started sending cuss words into the chat. And my friend rebuked them saying, you shouldn't use that language on here, for it's very offensive. And someone answered back to him saying, then get a filter and bleep out the words. Guess how my friend responded. Praise be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, the one and only God. You shouldn't say that on here. You might offend someone. Then get a Jesus filter. Selah. I wish we were always as zealous as my friend. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes we take advantage of all the freedoms our nation has to offer us to the point where we don't take refuge in God. And so where do we go instead of God? Who turns to their finances when things get bad? You don't have to put your hand up this time. But maybe we're throwing our money into Robin Hood and buying up cryptocurrency. Don't get me wrong, I'm all about Dave Ramsey and building healthy, responsible habits when it comes to finances. Money isn't the root of all sorts of evil. It's the love of money is. But who spends money on lottery tickets? Wouldn't it be nice to win a fortune and live the ideal American life our nation's preached to us many times? Imagine what that would look like. Selah. Anyone heard of Andrew Jack Whitaker Jr.? Okay, good. That's a new one. Feel free to read more about him. There's an article about him on ussun.com. Caitlin Hornick wrote it. On Christmas Day of 2002, he won the largest jackpot ever with a single Powerball ticket. It was worth $315 million. And he wound up taking a lump sum of over $113 million home. Whoever thought he was set for life thought wrong. Remember the rich man in Jesus' parable? Luke 12, 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Rest, eat, drink, be glad. But then Jesus said that such a person is a fool 
because death will come to that person and he or she will stand before God at the final judgment. Well, Whitaker embodied the American dream and what happened? His mountain broke off and fell into the midst of the sea. He struggled with drinking and gambling. He was charged twice with driving while under the influence and sued multiple times, once over assault. He and his wife eventually divorced. He lost his granddaughter to an overdose in 2004. He also lost his daughter to cancer in 2009. And at the end of her life, he literally stated, I wish I'd torn that ticket up. Selah. Money can be a lawful, useful tool in life, but it has its limits. Money can't protect us from disease, disaster, failure, or even sin. It can't protect us from God's final judgment. If we hoard too much of it, watch it do more harm than good. Maybe it's not money we're turning to for refuge, though. Maybe it's other people. And I believe God speaks through others, so that's not a bad thing. However, can we idolize people over God? I call that a big yes. No matter how many family members, friends, or connections we have, we are all prone to fail and to disappoint. Remember Chuck Colson's connection to President Richard Nixon in the Watergate scandal? He served a special counsel to President Nixon and had a relationship with him as his confidant for years. Yet when Nixon had evidence stacked against him that he was involved in the scandal, he didn't take the full legal consequences, but merely resigned from office and President Ford pardoned him. Instead, Colson was one of the seven people to stand before a jury over this matter. Hmm. My friends, no other means of security compared to what God has to offer. No people, no things, no stuff. They all pale in comparison to God's refuge. He will ultimately protect his church or those who believe Jesus and take him as Lord and Savior of their lives. <coughs> Excuse me. The nations will continue to roar and war with one another. Kingdoms get a kingdom. But God has a voice stronger than black bolts. And this earth one day is toast. According to verses 7 through 9, God has declared war on war itself. He is leading the war that will end all wars forever. In the midst of today's chaos, tomorrow's forecast, peace and tranquility. This brings us to our final point. God is our refuge. Be noiseless. Verses 7, 10, and 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Why would this passage mention Jacob? Remember, Jacob was the one who wrestled with God and prevailed. Therefore, his name was changed to Israel. And guess what else is true about Israel? It's a synonym for the term church, literally meaning called out ones. God is doing the calling. His believers are responding, rallying together to serve God's bigger purpose. Doesn't that describe us? 
I confess to you all, I gave my heart to Christ about 24 years ago today. Yet I still wrestle with God. I might as well be named Israel or wrestler with God, whatever that means in the Hebrew. I honestly struggled writing this sermon because lately I haven't been leaning on God as my refuge and strength. I've had this attitude towards God. Why should God be my refuge when all he's going to do is shove another trial in my life? Yes, I know James 1, 2 through 4 states, Count on all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But that full effect, uh, the steps that go from point A to point B, I struggle finding joy in that trial. It hurts now. I get so tired of pain and challenges. How many more trials do I have to endure? How much is enough, God? Maybe we all can relate. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And many lean on this passage for rest, but it's actually God commanding us, myself included, to be quiet and know that he is God. We struggle with silencing our minds to actually get to know God. I'm good at talking about God, and honestly, I enjoy doing it. But I'm struggling talking to God personally right now. But talking about God helps us get to know God better. Amen? Yeah. So what do we know about God? Well, the Bible states God is love in the latter part of 1 John chapter 4, 8. And what is love? In a nutshell, agape love literally means walk after God's commandments. That's it. Walk after God's commandments. We recall them from Exodus chapter 20. Don't have any gods before God the Father, meaning don't prioritize anyone or anything over God. Don't make any graven images of God and worship them. Never take the Lord's name in vain, which actually means don't void out God's authority or don't pretend to follow it. Honor the Sabbath. Don't covet after any of our neighbor's goods. Don't bear false witness against a neighbor or lie. Don't steal or kidnap. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. And honor a parent's authority. If we follow after these perfectly, then we would be sinless and do no harm to anyone. Plus, if we did so when we were born until now, then we would deserve to go to heaven. However, none of us are able to do that. The Bible even states in James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but transgresses in one has become, has become guilty of all. We can't make up for what we did wrong by doing right to cover it up. And since God is perfect, he will not let sin go unpunished. He will judge everyone for what they did wrong. The wrath of God consists of being pronounced guilty and transported to a wasteland where there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth, and eternal punishment in a lake of fire forever. I don't wish that on anyone. How can we get out of this condemnation? How can we be saved from this danger? One day, all of us will have to face God and account for our actions. He'll find all of us guilty. The only difference between a believer and a non-believer 
is who is going to pay the penalty for the sins? Jesus or the non-believing individuals? Now, why would Jesus' life alone count as payment for all of our sins? Jesus is literally God in the flesh. He is born uniquely of the Virgin Mary, coming into this world on a mission to rescue the human race from sin and death. Selah. Jesus never sinned. He never pretended to follow God's authority. He not only honored the Sabbath, but he loved and healed people on the Sabbath. He never made graven images of God and worshipped them. He never coveted any after any goods. He never lied. He never stole. He never murdered. He never committed adultery. He never had any gods before his father, meaning he never prioritized anything or anyone over his father's will in his life. Last but not least, he always honored his parents and his heavenly father's authority. He did this perfectly from birth, and he will be the only one in history to do this. Jesus is the standard of holiness, deserving the greatest treasures in heaven from God the Father. Yet God called him to be treated as if he broke all the laws and more. As we, were, we read earlier today, John 15, 13, no greater love exists than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what he did. He spilled his blood. He died a horrible death. He did it to save us, to bring us back into the fold. God's wrath was coming after all of mankind because all have sinned and, fallen, and have fallen short of the glory of God. But God called Jesus to substitute himself on behalf of everyone believing in him. He obeyed and he ultimately satisfied God's wrath for anyone who believes in him by an excruciating death nailed to a cross. How can we be sure that Jesus' death counts on our behalf? We can 100% trust God is saving us when we have admitted we are sinners deserving punishment in hell. We believe Jesus paid for all of our sins on Calvary, past, present, and future. And finally, we confess him as our Lord and Savior. Selah. Anyone speechless yet? We may have heard this before, but isn't it peaceful to know that in the end, Christians win? We win, thanks to Jesus. Be still and know that Jesus is our refuge from God's wrath. Be still and know that no matter what nature and nations throw at us, God will ultimately shield us in the end. God is our refuge and joined us in our refuse. Today, we remember the last Passover. His disciples had to prepare much to pull it off. The lamb, the unleavened bread, the cup, and the place for starters. While they were eating, Jesus then added his last will and testament, which went into effect after his death. This event meant more than just examining ourselves, eating a small morsel of unleavened bread, and drinking a half a shot of grape juice. When Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and divvied it out to his disciples, he stated, Take, eat, this is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what is Jesus actually saying here? What does Jesus' body symbolize in the Bible? I guess it symbolizes his church. 
with his disciples. And it took effect. Church, as we mentioned before, literally means called out once. God did the calling. We answered. And the term Israel, just a synonym once again for church. For the church ultimately prevails with God. And the cup, rich in symbolism too. When Jesus took the cup, he gave thanks for it. And then gave it to his disciples to drink. He then said, drink out of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, for many being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And what does this really mean? To drink a cup meant to undergo a death. Jesus was about to undergo his death, and he knew his death would mean life for those who believe in him. Therefore, as we get ready to partake this morning, remember when we eat this bread, we are proclaiming that we are Christ's church. And when we drink from our cups, we are proclaiming, Yes, Lord, I share in your death. Thy kingdom come, my kingdom go. If that describes our relationship with God, or your relationship with God, then please partake this morning. If it doesn't describe your relationship with God right now, then remember this. None of us deserve for Jesus to have paid for our sins. And we can never earn it. However, believing in Jesus is a free gift in of itself. And he freely offers his gift of eternal life. What's the catch? If we say thy kingdom come, then that means my kingdom go. Yes, that's what confessing him as Lord and Savior means. We ultimately die to ourselves and live for Christ. Using the gifts and lives we have for his bidding. There's, no, there's still no quota on how much we have to do to keep our salvation. It doesn't work that way at all. Just enjoy God and our relationships with him. And he will be our refuge even in this life and the life after this one. Amen? Let's pray. Worship band, come on up.